Well, good morning to all of you, and uh, it's good to be back again. And I hope that uh, you're all well. And I've sent out the bulletin and the handouts for the sermon yesterday, so I hope that you you have seen it by now. So today we're gonna we're gonna plow on with our study on the characteristics of agape love. Uh, in part two F of this series, uh, which was last week, that if you remember that Paul tells us in First Corinthians thirteen five that love is not puffed up. Uh, the the reason is because that a Christian should not be arrogant. Uh, whether outrightly or covertly arrogant, as we've seen that there are two types of arrogance there from the sermon last week. So uh, we're going to leave that behind. And this morning, we're going we're gonna to continue and consider Paul's sixth on, the, on his list, but the fourth of his negative characteristics, which is not of agape love. Uh, and this is also taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, where Paul said that agape love does not behave rudely. So let's begin by considering the meaning of the word rudely. Here, yeah, this word, as translated in our English Bibles, actually come from the it comes from the Greek word eschimon, uh, uh, which is actually which is actually from a root word eschimon. Uh, the word is a compound word. Basically, it has got two parts to it. You have got the, the prefix which is a, which starts with an a, so a, which is actually a in a negative form, which means without. And then the, 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 the suffix at the back is from the word schema. Schema means uh, it, it refers to something which has got an outward shape or the external form of something. So that's the, that's the meaning of the word itself, without shape or external form. Uh, that's, that's what the word literally means. So Zohites, the, the, the Greek scholar, tells us that the word, uh, the word schema means shape or plan. So this is where we get our English word scheme from, you know, the, 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 grand, the, the, the grand scheme of things. The word scheme means the shape or the plan or schematic. So uh, that, this is where, this is where that it comes from. So sometimes if you wonder where did, uh, how did we get the English word scheme from, uh, is from this Greek word schema. So uh, per Percy Ainsworth, uh, the writer, he describes schema as this, uh, which I quote is in your handouts. Uh, Similiness suggests the ideas of tact and delicacy, judgment and propriety. It relates to shape rather than substance. It is the pattern, not the fabric. Uh, if is if you like the etiquette of the Christian life. Unquote. So this is from his book, The Silences of Jesus and Saint Paul's Hymn to Love. So when this word is used by Paul in its negative form. Uh, which is love does not behave rudely, which is in negative form. It literally refers to something that is uh, against the form, against the fashion, or against the manner, as to what is proper. You know, and hence that it means something that is uncomely or indecent. Yeah. So this is where that uh, this this word described. So it paints the picture of someone who behaves in a very indecent, unbecoming manner, and hence uh, he is considered as ill-mannered or rude. So this is where we get uh, the English translation that love does not behave rudely from. So Barnes the commentator said uh, that it means, he, he said that it means to conduct improperly or disgracefully or in a manner to deserve reproach. Love seeks that which is proper and becoming in the circumstances and relations of life in which we are placed. It prompts to the due respect of, for superiors producing veneration and respect for their opinions, and it prompts to a proper regard for inferiors, not despising their rank, their poverty, their dress, their dwellings, their pleasures, their views of happiness. It prompts to the due observance of all the relations of life as those of a husband 
wife, parent, child, brother, sister, son, daughter, and produces a proper conduct and deportment in all these relations. The proper idea of the, of the phrase is that it prompts to all that is fit and becoming in life and would save from all that is unfit and unbecoming. There may be included in the word also the idea that it would prevent anything that would be a violation of decency or delicacy." Unquote. So from here we can see that the, the trust behind this word is that it refers to an attitude or a conduct which is in defiance of social and moral standards that leads to disgrace, embarrassment and shame because of its impropriety and rudeness. So the one who has acted in an eschemonial manner, which is where the Greek word is from, is acting in actually a disgraceful and dishonorable and hence rudely manner, which is what Paul said that such is not of agape love. Like, like the other characteristics uh, of agape love in First Corinthians 13, uh, you know, this too should be this word un, you know, root, rudely should be considered within the context as to why did Paul say that love is not does not behave rudely? Uh, you know, I think that when you look at the, the, the context of the letter to first of First Corinthians itself, you, we we find that we have seen previously before that at Corinth that there there was this partisan spirit of division between the brethren. You know, you have got the arrogant fellowship with the immoral brother who was committing incest with his stepmother. You have got lawsuits, brethren suing one one another left, right, and center. You got those who were eating food offered to idols without consideration of the weaker brethren's conscience. You have got uh, women behaving unruly uh, during worship. You have got we have got the agape feast. If you remember that the the, the church having agape feast there, you know, those who have brought food uh, to, to to be sh which was supposed to be shared with the poorer brethren, uh, you know, and in the end that uh, these people these these brethren would just eat the food first, eat up all the food before before the, the rest arrive to be fed leaving them embarrassed uh, because they have nothing to eat. And also you, we have the, the issues of the spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecies where you have got um, brethren exercising the gifts, uh, speaking over uh, one another instead of doing it in a, decently, uh, and dis in a decent order itself. So when we look at the context behind the First Corinthians 13, 5 passage there, uh, as a whole, we, we find that the rudeness of the Corinthian brethren is astounding and shocking in, the, in their attitude, in their conduct, you know that they have broken not only uh, the, in, in the the common decencies of society, but they have also broken that which is be, that decency which is which is between brethren and between God as well, and His law of fellowship with them. That's why that when you think about this, that it's no wonder that Paul has actually included rudeness uh, in his discussion of agape love, uh, and say that well, agape love is not rude. So. These unruly brethren, basically, they, they have had no consideration for God, or one another, for that matter. All they cared about was themselves and how they felt. You know, so long as they were happy, uh, they couldn't care less whether God is pleased or other brethren have been inconvenienced or harmed by the rude conduct. And this is where the Lansky the commentary has rightly summed up the Corinthians' attitude in his, in his commentary there, uh, where Lansky said that, I quote, when, puffed, when pride puffs up the heart, unseemly bearing and conduct naturally follow. Tactlessness forgets its own place and fails to accord to others their proper dues of respect, honour and consideration. Love is forgetful of self and thoughtful towards others." Unquote. 
I think that uh, you know, Lansky hit, it, hit the nail on the head as far as Corinth was concerned. Well, rude people generally are selfish people because they are not considerate for the welfare and feelings of others. They will talk and act as they please. But Paul said that the Christian who practices agape love, he must not be rude to others in the way that he deals with them. So from this itself, that there are some people who argue that when Paul said that agape love does not behave rudely, he meant that Paul was only concerned about the manner, you know, and the appearance or shape of our words and conduct, and which must be such that it must appear, okay, uh, it must appear to others uh, to be gracious, polite, and not tactless and rude. So what this what this statement means is, is that to them they believe that Christians must never be blunt with the truth, because bluntness with the truth can be offending, and they can appear rude to others. I'm sure that most, if not all of us, we have experienced that. If you tell the truth to somebody, they get offended because they say that you're so rude for saying that. You know, and hence that, that this transgress the characteristics of politeness of agape love. That is according to some people. So what this argument means is that, uh, well, uh, no matter when, when we talk, when we act, we must not appear to others to be rude. It means that from the, from the other end, when they look at us, they must not see us as being rude. So this is what, uh, what, it call, what, what I call it the result-oriented view of agape love. Yeah? There, there are some people who seem to think that agape love is result-oriented. But if you think about this result-oriented view of agape love in the context of rudeness, isn't it true that a statement or a set of conduct could be construed differently by different people? Isn't it? Different people look at conduct and listen to statements differently. You know? And let's see some examples there from the Bible itself, the biblical examples. Uh, in Acts 7, there's no need to turn to the passages, but uh, what I'm, I'm going to show, share with you is this. In Acts chapter 7, we have Stephen. Stephen was the first Christian martyr. Uh, you know, that he, he, when you read Acts 7, you'll find that Stephen's statement of rebuke to the Jews. Uh, who was there standing listening to his preaching was very very blunt you know and stern uh, Acts 7 uh, it begins from uh, verse 51 where Stephen said this this is breaking into the context again this was towards the end of his uh, as he ended his, his, his sermon he said this 751 of Acts you stiff neck and uncircumcised in heart and ears you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so do you which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed up him with their teeth. So we see Stephen here. He accused the Jews of being stiff-necked, stubborn basically, and Gentile-like in their hearts and rebellious, uh, re rebellious. they are rebellious against the Holy Spirit. He also accused them to be like their fathers who rebelled against God, murdered God's prophets, who foretold the, foretold the Christ. You know, and they too, uh, they have murdered Jesus the Christ. If you notice their response with this, to this blunt truth, these people were very upset and they turned and attacked Stephen. You know, we know that of course that eventually they murdered him as well, they stoned him to death. So here you are, you have one, one kind of response that uh, 
you know, to to the to to the to, to blunt truths. We have another example of pre uh, Peter preaching to the crowd here. Uh, yeah, this was in the context of uh, that follows the healing of this crippled beggar at the beautiful gate in Jerusalem, uh, in Acts chapter three. Uh, we, we begin from verse thirteen, where Peter said this: "The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified Jesus, his uh, his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the Just." and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And the verse 17 continues there. It says, Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ, must, the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, who, who, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So here Peter's words again were very blunt and cutting, you know, because that he was actually accusing the Jews as accessories to the release of a murderer, that was Barabbas, and then they murdered Jesus Christ. So if there was any serious charge, nothing can be more serious than a charge on murdering God's only begotten son. You know, uh, that was a really, really blunt and cutting statement from Peter, just like the words of Stephen earlier. The crowd's response is interesting uh, from, these, uh, from these statements. That is from Acts 4, uh, Acts 4 verses 1 to 4, where Luke tells us this. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So this is very interesting. Uh, you know, re remember what what I, I said earlier. That's how some people seem to think that uh, a Christian's conduct and words should not appear to be rude to others. Here you got one set of statement. You got two different sets of responses. On the first, on the first was the Jewish leaders. They were very upset with the message. They arrested the apostles. But on the other side, you got the five thousand Jews who accepted the message and embraced the gospel and obeyed the word. So this is where the question comes. Were the apostles, was Stephen rude, you know, to accuse the Jews of murdering Jesus with their point-blank accusations? Some people might say that they were rude because it was offensive to people to accuse them of such grievous evils. This appeared to be rude to them. That's why that the, the the Jews stoned Stephen, and the leaders, the Jewish leaders, arrested the apostles. But the 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 question is this: that if Peter's words were rude, how is it that the three thousand of the Jews, or no, five thousand of the Jews, obeyed the gospel? Hmm, something to think about, isn't it? 
So this is something to think about between the, the connection between blunt truth and rudeness. I think it's something for us to think about. Let's see an Old, an Old Testament example in Jeremiah chapter 7. And Jeremiah chapter 7 verse 1, it begins from verse 1. Jeremiah writes, he said that, the, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah who enter in at the gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. Do not trust in these lying words, saying, The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. For if you thoroughly amend your ways and your doings, if you thoroughly execute judgment between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, or walk after other gods to your hurt, then I will cause you to dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you trust in lying words that cannot profit. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, burn incense to Baal, and walk after other gods whom you do not know, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, We are delivered to do all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of thieves in your eyes? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, says the Lord. But now go to my place which was in Shiloh, where I set my name at the first, and see what I did to it. Because of the wickedness of my people of my people Israel, and now, because you have done all these works, says the Lord, and I spoke to you rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear, and I called you, but you did not answer, therefore I will do to the house which is called by my name, in which you trust, and to this place which I gave to you and your fathers, as I have done to Shiloh, and I will cast you out of my sight, as I have cast out all your brethren, the whole posterity of Ephraim. So you shall say to them, This is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. So, you know that in this, in this passage here, that Jeremiah has been told by the Lord to say those words to the people. And when you, when we, as we have read those words, they, you know, it's, they, are, they are not very positive and polite message there. It's not a polite and positive message. In verses 8 to 10, Jeremiah was to warn Judah that they were putting their faith in lies and evil in their deeds. You know, they were guilty of theft, murder, adultery, swearing falsely, and idolatry. And having done that, you know, Jeremiah had to rebuke them as well and saying that, well, they, they, having done all these evils, they still got the cheek to go and worship God in his temple, claiming that God was well pleased with their evil ways. So basically, that uh, what Jeremiah was doing was simply to publicly accuse them of hypocrisy and warn them, in fact, that in verses 12 to 15, that God was going to condemn them all, just as he did to Shiloh, the place Shiloh uh, where the tabernacle was before, when Israel disobeyed him. You know, then the Jeremiah said, well, because of what they have done and, re and they have refused to repent, God was not going to listen to them. You see, and even God said that, well, Jeremiah, these people are not going to listen to you, but you, need, you still need to tell them this. So what we can see is basically that the statement of Jeremiah was a, actually 
a fire and brimstone from heaven kind of statement with a bit of flavor of hell being mixed into it as well. We know Judah didn't take this message and not, not any of the messages of the prophets of God at all. And that's why they went into the Babylonian captivity. So, when we look at these words, was Jeremiah rude in his message to Jerusalem? Well, some people might say, well, he was really blunt with them. That was very blunt and evidently it looks rude, appears rude to the, to the people. And that's why the people refused to listen. You know, and they were upset by, with Jeremiah as well. But the question is that, who was the one who instigated Jeremiah to say these things? It was the Lord himself. So if Jeremiah was rude, so, so is the Lord. The Lord was rude as well. But of course, some people might say, no, 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 no. You can't say that. Why? Because that, uh, he's God. So God has the right to make such harsh judgment. But it would be rude if it would come from men. You know, and that's why that sometimes people might blame Jeremiah for being rude, but not God, because it was God's right to to be rude. Okay, if that's the case, then if 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 I were to quote, you know, from these words that Jeremiah has written down, and then make the application and accuse, you know, someone of being rebellious like Israel and Judah, then would I be rude? If I was rude, why? And if, I was, if I'm not rude, why not? So, at the end of the day, my question is, who determines whether words or actions are rude or not? So, who determines? The listener or the speaker or God? So, Paul actually gives us the answer in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5. You know, Paul here actually tells us that those who assert, assert that rudeness is determined by the listener they actually missed the point. You know, when, when, because when Paul was speaking about agape love within the context of 1 Corinthians 13, he, he, he was actually speaking of the Christian. You know, he was speaking of the Christian. Agape love in the context of 1 Corinthians 13 concerns those principles as to how a Christian should live and how he should treat others. The characteristics of agape love addressed the individual motives and drivers for our word and conduct. Okay, so bear this in mind. Agape love in 1 Corinthians 13 addressed just the, the, the motives, our motives and drivers for our words and conduct. It is not result-oriented. It has nothing to do with the results itself. It is basically to do with the motive and the, and, 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 and the drivers as to how we act and what we, how, we, how, we, how we speak. So it is about how we account to God and to others. And about how we see God and others, and how we shape our Christian personality and character. That's what First Corinthians 13 is about. For those who are focused on the response of others, you know, using First Corinthians 13, in the case of rudeness, for example, instead of focusing on the Christian's individual motive and drivers, 
They, they have taken the wrong end of the stick in First Corinthians 13 verse 5. You see? First Corinthians 13 verse 5 about rudeness is not focused on, as they say, the way that it has been said. This is not the focus of First Corinthians 13 5. It is about how a Christian who is filled with agape love should act and speak in relation to, uh, in relation to his, to uh, in relation to his, to others. You see, so it has to do with the Christian's motive. The way the way he says things is not in under consideration. It is why he said it. That is the one that that's that, that's the, that's the the main focus of of First Corinthians thirteen five. We, we, we see that again. Let's see, see, that, uh, see this principle in, in, in application itself. In Matthew 23, verses 13 down to verse 19, these are the words of Jesus against the Pharisees and the scribes. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 13, Jesus said that, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering in to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour those houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is won, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, Whoever swears by the temple is nothing. Whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? So here when we read of our Lord's pronouncement of woes, the word woes is basically in the sense like, you know, is like a is cursed, uh, you know, against the scribes and Pharisees. He called them fools and blind. And we know that uh, well, those words sounded like rudeness, isn't it? It appears like rudeness. But it is not so, is it? Because of when Jesus used those words, they were simply words of rebuke from his grieving heart from his grieving heart that was filled with agape love when he uttered those words. He didn't say to demean them, he said it because he loved them and he wanted them to he wanted them to turn around. Jesus wasn't rude. Those words which may appear rude, but those were words of love, as defined by Agape, because his motive was was right before God. It's not the outcome, it is the motive. So let's consider another example in John 8. This was the case of the woman who was caught in adultery. Uh, if you remember that, uh, you know, that uh, when uh, in John 8 verse 5 and 6, the scripture says, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they say, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger, as though he did not hear. So here we know that, that the Jews were questioning Jesus as to what they should do with this woman called adultery, citing Moses' law on it. But in, if you notice that Jesus seemed to ignore them, as he stooped down on the ground writing with his finger. Was Jesus rude in his behavior? He ignored them. He just wrote on the ground. Was he rude? Another example in Matthew 27, 
verses 11 down to 14, where the scripture says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, It is as you say. And while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he said nothing. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he answered him, Not a word. So the governor, so that the governor marveled greatly. Again, we find and this in this in this instance that Jesus making a brief statement to Pilate, and he kept silent. He refused to answer any questions. Was Jesus rude? Some people might say that well, he was rude because that uh, he should be looking at them in their eyes and answer their questions and not look to the ground or look somewhere else and keep silent and ignore them. But we know that Jesus, the Son of God, could do no wrong, and he would not sin at all. But how do we interpret his words and his conduct here? Jesus loves all men, and he would have been exercising agape love perfectly as the Father would expect of him. And in light of that, that therefore we should interpret his words and conduct not as rudeness, even though they may appear rude. You see? Just because others see it as rudeness, that should not be the case. Because his words and his actions were out of love, the love of God towards his people. See, these examples as well as what we have seen earlier, it shows us you see, that when Paul said that agape love does not behave rudely, so it tells us that what constitutes rudeness is not determined by the listener or observer, but by By, 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 by God himself you see so this this is how this is how we, we, we should be looking at at it so God not society determines what is rude all right God not society determines what is rude so rudeness by definition yes is something that's uncomely or indecent, something that is against shape or form of the norm, but the norm is not just the norms of society, but primarily the norm of God. God is the one who determines the shape as to what is what is proper and what is rude. But we have another example, there, a very good example uh, where you see uh, something, something that happened to Paul in Acts 23 uh, verses 1 down to verse 5. Paul said this, the scripture says, Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I live in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? And those who uh, stood by him, Sorry. Yeah. So those who those who stood by said, Do you revile God's high priest? Then Paul said, I didn't know, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, You should not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So in this account that basically what happened was that Paul was speaking in his own defense before the Jewish Sanhedrin and when he was slapped in the face. If you notice how Paul's reaction was in verse three, you know, Paul actually warned you know them that uh, well God will strike you 
you know that uh, basically he was saying to the one who ordered the slapping because this was done contrary to the law so Paul said one statement God will strike you you whitewashed wall yeah he, he made this statement but if you notice how Paul's attitude changed when he realized that he was actually speaking to the high priest wait this this seems to suggest that Paul may have got eyes eye problems you know that he, he could be probably uh, had very very bad eyesight so he could not see uh, the person who who was uh, who was standing there probably that's, that's why that uh, he didn't know that the the, the one who ordered the, the slapping was the high priest so maybe this was uh, this is taken I mean uh, this is beside the point maybe that this was his thorn in the flesh you know that uh, he he, he's, he has got very bad eyesight and so that uh, and he didn't realize that he was actually uh, in a sense uh, rebuking the high priest but his attitude changed you know uh, and he backed down from his and withdrew his earlier statement if you notice isn't it? he said oh I didn't know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you should not speak evil of your people, uh, the rule of a uh, rule of your people. So, when he realized that he was actually rebuking the high priest, he withdrew that statement. That's very interesting. See, as, as I was reading this, what looks like initially, when Paul, you know, uttered those words of rebuke, he did not see it as rudeness, because that that was done contrary to the law. So he rebuked whoever it was there. But then when he realized that it was the high priest, he withdrew the statement because it would have been rude of him to rebuke the high priest because the law of God, the Moses law, prohibited you know, an Israelite from rebuking a ruler of his people. So this is a very interesting example, you see, where one statement could be rude in one instance and not rude in another instance. And that rudeness was determined by the speaker himself. You see, although that he may have he may have got good intentions in rebuking, uh, you know, using those words of rebuke, but when he realizes that that rebuke was contrary to the to the to the law of God, he immediately withdrew it because it was rude. Because agape love does not behave rudely, as Paul said. So it is not the the norms of society, but God who determines what is rudeness. And so this is a good example of it we see here. And we know that basically the, the norms of society differs as far as rudeness is concerned. You see? Uh, you know that for example, like if you, uh, it, it, is, it is a norm of the nudist community. Nudists are those communities who believe that they, 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 they shouldn't be wearing clothes at all. They walk around in the nude. Uh, you know that for them is the norm of society. You know, if you come fully clothed, perhaps they will say that, you know, you are actually behaving contrary to our norms. But should we go in nude as well, just, just, to, just, to, just to conform to, to that society's norm? No, because that would be, appear to be immodest and indecent. Because the norms of God stated that we should dress modestly and behave decently. So it is the norm of God, not the norms of society, as, that determines what is rudeness. Because different societies have different, uh, uh, defined rudeness differently. And that's what as Paul tells us, that the norms of agape love is set by God, which is from our hearts and in accordance to God's word and will. There are, there are some more interesting examples I think that uh, we should run through as well before I end. Uh, in Matthew 7 verses 3 to 8, uh, Matthew 3 verses 7 to 8, sorry, Matthew 3 7 to 8, the scripture tells us about the words of John the Baptist here. When John the Baptist here, the scripture says, But when he saw many of the scribes, I mean, many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, 
who want you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruit word, fruits worthy of repentance. So here John the Baptist called the Pharisees and Sadducees, wanting to obey his message, brood of vipers. And then you have another example in Matthew 15. Jesus was talking to this Canaanite woman um, in verse 25 of Matthew 15. The scripture says, Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Then he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. So Jesus here, in fact, called this Canaanite woman coming to seek actually the healing for her daughter. He called her basically a dog. Well, Matthew 23, verse 13, we have seen earlier that, that how Jesus pronounced woes on the scribes and Pharisees, and he called them hypocrites, he called them fools and blind. And then in John 4, uh, 18, Jesus speaking to the woman, the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well, where he said that, For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. So basically Jesus was telling bluntly to the Samaritan woman that she was living in adultery, and John 8, 11, you know, our Lord's answer to the woman caught in adultery at the end of it, when he told her to go and sin no more. In, in other words, Jesus condemned her for her sin and asked her, asked her to repent. Don't do it again. And in Acts 2, 22-24, Peter told the Jews who were listening that you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. You know, the, Jesus Christ, basically, basically the, the Christ. He accused them of being lawless and murdered Jesus. And then Jesus, in John 6, speaking to his, uh, the, the group of disciples, uh, he, he had a very big group of disciples initially. When Je the scripture says in John 6, 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? So Jesus has just spoken about him being the bread of life and that you, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood you know, to have life and the people kind of took offense to his word because they found it very rude. But these, all these statements we have seen from the examples of the Bible may seem rude according to the norms of society. You see? You know, and of course, that, you know, a lot, some of these statements have, have offended many people. But all these words came from the mouths of the men of God and including Jesus himself. And yet the Bible has left records of this for us. Why? I think the answer is because that they are necessary, the necessary words of agape love that sinners must hear, the blunt truth. It is God who sets the standard, not men, as to what is rudeness. Brethren, speaking the truth with an agape mindset, which is having the motive and the drivers of agape love as we speak the truth, is not one of them. Okay, this is not rudeness according to the scriptures. So as I as I want to end the sermon here very shortly, I'd like to quote from this unknown author. I've been trying to find out who the author is in order to give him or her credit, but I couldn't find it on the internet. Uh, the, the author actually has beautifully summarized the essence of Paul's message about how agape love deals with rudeness. So uh, it's in your notes as well. Uh, the, let's, the, the quotation says this, Love has an instinctive power of self-adjustment to every situation. But remember that it is the highest and holiest adjustment. There is a false similarness that is secured by a tactful but immoral acceptance of things as we find them. It is not of this that Paul speaks when in Rome do as the Romans do. 
Sorry, give me a second, yeah. My notes seem to be jumbled out, I don't know why I... Uh, give me a second, yep. Okay, yeah, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. May make your lot easier in Rome, but the wrong application of the principle behind it is a cloak for half the sin of the world. The world says that the thing that is outwardly seemly, that's the appearing to be polite, is the thing that is always right. That's what the world says. This is the reverse of what Paul says. He tells us that the right must find a way of being seemly without sacrificing its essential rightness. Unquote. I like this quotation here, and I find that the author is right to say that love has this power of self-adjust, to self-adjust in every situation. You know, love calibrates itself to every situation without being rude and without sacrificing its essential rightness. You see? And I think this statement implies as well that to be blunt with the truth is not necessarily rude. Especially we know that because the truth is something that people must hear and they need to hear. Even though they, they may not like to hear it. You see? The way to do this without being rude, according to the Bible, is first to approach every issue that requires the truth to be told with the mindset of agape love. That means we have to ask ourselves the question, why am I saying this? Why do I have to say this? That's the question. Apply, apply the agape love principles to, to it before we speak. If we do that, then we will never be rude in our words or action according to God's norm I'm talking about. You see, if we speak the truth with love from the heart in the truly biblical sense, that, that means that there's no ulterior motives behind it. In other words, that we're not trying to put people down but simply to seek one's highest good for their eternal salvation's sake. If that is our motives, then our words and actions are never rude in God's sight. Well, people may take offense to them, but that's how people react to, to words and actions. But when the words and actions are done with the true motives of agape love, the people's reaction is irrelevant. How they react is, irre is irrelevant. We have seen those examples already in the Bible. So all the Lord wants us is to speak of them out of true agape love. And this is the reason that agape love does not behave rudely. That is when our conduct and our words are done as God has desired and will. You know, Peter, the Apostle Peter writes in First Peter 3 uh, verses 8 to 12, where Peter said, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you are you were called to this, that you may inherit the blessing. For he who would love life and see good things, good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him do let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to the prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So Peter's exhortation is that Christians must be united. Love one another and be courteous. Instead of bickering, you know, speaking words with, of malice and evil against one another. Agape love is courteous towards others 
in telling them what they needed to hear. That's the courtesy of agape love and giving what they needed to receive. You see? This may sometimes include telling the truth in, 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 in you know, the bluntness of truth when it is necessary. You see? The reason is because, as Paul later on says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 6, that love does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth. Agape love is grief when it sees another heading the wrong way and will be motivated to bring the truth to his attention. Whilst some may consider it rude to be told the truth, they, would, they, they may prefer that we either ignore the sin or, as they say, let it down gently. By which what they mean is basically that don't tell them plainly, but gloss over with other stuff so that they don't, they don't realize you, you're, you're telling them that, uh, that they have sinned. But this is not how agape love works, brethren. You know, even uh, with a cursory turning of the pages of the Bible, will show us that the Lord has always been point blank, you know, with the truth, because He truly loves the soul of man. God has never seen such as rudeness, because this is God's norm. That's why we find the Bible over and over and over and over again, you know, that men of God, women of God, speaking the truth bluntly, but they, they speak it out of love because the, those who hear it needed to hear it. So as children of God, we need to remember the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 about agape love not being rude. Remember that God is the one who sets the standard, not society, as to what is rudeness. We must always ask ourselves and check our motives before we open our mouths or act in every instance with the question, why am I doing this? Am I trying to seek the highest good of the other, so that he will know that God is not pleased with him? Or am I trying to elevate myself just to make him look bad? So if it's the latter, then we must not act because this is not agape love and this will be rude in God's eyes. But if it's the former, that we are seeking his highest good, then we must act no matter how the other party sees our words and actions. Brethren, this is agape love and its courtesy towards others that the Bible talks about. It is not determined by society's standards, but by God. So may God bless us and help us to learn from this and learn to distinguish the difference uh, you know, when it comes to the issue of rudeness. Okay, always check, out, check yourself and ask yourself why you are saying this, why you are doing this. And if your, if your motives and your drivers are based on the principles of agape love, which is that to seek the highest good of the other for his own good, because he needed to hear it, or things needed to be done, then do it, regardless of how they say, how they feel, or how they see it. Uh, you know that we cannot please people, so therefore we can only live to please God, because we love Him, and we want to honor and glorify Him. May God bless us as we take heed to this lesson. Thank you.